coming to you live from Race City, USA. It's Blind Spotting, the NASCAR podcast from a fresh, personal, and blue collar take. Race reviews, race previews, the latest news, and more. And now, your hosts, Michael Colbert, Andrew Coates, and Travis Sherry. All right, here we are in the Cottle Creek compound for episode number 16 of Blind Spotting. We hope everything's been going well for you since we spoke to you last. Uh, once again, a big thank you to Adam Peter Shin at AP Shin Music for our opening intro. And we have got a another, I, I'm not sure how we're pulling this off. It's just the, the NASCAR racing gods are smiling down on us. We've got a great interview lined up tonight. Eddie DeHunt. That's right, Eddie DeHunt, the spotter for Chase Elliott, the current cup and reigning champion. It should be a great discussion. We are very excited to have Mr. DeHunt on with us. And, uh, you know, we're not really sure what we're going to get into, but we're very excited to have him and uh, just to hear what he has to say. We, we've heard him, you know, a bit on the radio. You can listen in to races and it sounds like, uh, you know, he and Chase obviously have a great rapport and he does work with other drivers as well. So that's coming up. We're very excited about that. So we really appreciate you tuning in and listening. Our, our listenership continues to go up each and every week, and, and that's just due to you, our listeners. You know, we, we work hard to put a good product out there, and uh, we appreciate you listening to it. As always, I'm joined by my two partners in crime, my cohorts, Andrew Coates and Travis Sherrill. How are things going for you gents tonight? Fast and loose. Going good. NASCAR started, so uh, yeah. Good. All right. Well, I'm glad things are going well for you guys. And, uh, well, you know, why mess around? We're going to get right to the interview. After the interview, we're going to do our... We're going to do our, our Daytona review, and then we're going to look forward to a, just a brief preview for the races down in Homestead this weekend. So stay tuned for that after the ed- interview with Eddie DeHunt. And here we go with Eddie. All right. Welcoming Eddie DeHunt to the show tonight. This is episode 16 of the Blind Spotting NASCAR podcast. And as I said before, we have Mr. Eddie DeHunt joining us tonight. He is currently the spotter for Chase Elliott, the current Cup champion in uh, NASCAR. And, uh, man, I, I, we, we really appreciate you being here with us, Mr. DeHunt. Uh, it's good to have you joining us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Well, we know that you're busy, and we will try not to take up a tremendous amount of your time. And um, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Normally, we kind of get started with asking the question of what kind of got you got you interested, what kind of lit the spark. But I, ha- I am dying to ask you this, <laughs> and I hope you don't mind asking answering it. And I'm sure our viewers would like to know the answer to this, well, this as well. So this past Sunday, and I, I'll just get this out of the way because I've been about to pop with, with this question. So when Chase Elliott was driving through the grass on the road course and he got you know either bumped or just they were too wide, what was that conversation like between you and him when he's doing a, I mean, a miraculous save job and getting it back on track? What was, What's going on between you and Chase in, in those moments? Uh... Not a whole lot, because I can see <laughs> he's off course and got a handful of steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and two cars to his right with uh, not a whole lot of real estate to get back onto. Well, and, and that um, was kind of what I thought. You, you, I, I assumed you just kind of let him drive through that because you know he kind of knows the situation he's in. Are you kind of telling him what's what's going on? Or are you just kind of watch, letting him deal with nah, that? I mean, at that point, he knows what's going on. It's yeah. not a whole lot I could do to help him other than if I see that the middle lane has opened, you know, I say, come on back 
and that's what I did at one point. But, you know, he gets shoved off there, and that lane closed, and he, he had to stay out there for a while. Yeah. Besides that's... navigating the car to get it from sliding and spinning out on the grass. It was an amazing thing to watch. I, it was just incredible. And you could see his hands just going, you know, 90 miles an hour in, in the driver's seat there. And he's got those white gloves on. So, it's I mean, he's just driving his heart out there to keep that thing going straight and, and from getting getting wonky. Well, it got wonky, but he somehow he saved that. It was just amazing to, to see that. Well, for the last thing at that point, he needs his, me in his ear. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's kind of what I was assuming. But I, I, I was wondering it, and I've been, you know, that's been on my mind. That was the first thing I wanted to ask you. And I'm sure the folks listening are probably, you know, not that, that don't listen in to the races are probably wondering the same thing. And I know you guys, uh, we started off one of our episodes back in the fall where we did kind of a Phoenix wrap up and we let off the show with the audio. I found some audio of you and him as he was doing like the last part of the last lap and going across the fin- and, and the exuberance uh, from the two of you was just, I mean, that was great audio. We actually let our show off with that. And uh, that was a, that was just fun to listen to. And I, I can only imagine what the feeling was for, for both of you and, and the entire team at, at that moment. That had to be well, very special. There's a lot to it that I don't expect people to know, but is the, the amount of sacrifices made in your personal life and life in general Right. To get to that point mm-hmm. is pretty high. I mean, I got a pretty long history in this sport and been through a lot of personal heartache and struggles. And so to finally get to, you know, our Super Bowl and win it um, with back to back, you know, all of that struggle kind of seems okay for a little bit. And that's the emotion you hear. And, and mm-hmm. Chase had his variety of that struggle too. I mean, it's not easy being, you know, the son of a guy that is an icon in our sport. and carving out your own name too you know and and that's what he's done now and um that's difficult because a lot of people say well you know you're an elliot his parents obviously haven't led this life his whole life and so he he being a part of that and then um his dad seeing that he wanted to pursue the same career trying to help him to the best of his ability and and that's not easy either because you're living in the shadow a guy that's a Hall of Fame champion in our sport, and 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 to finally go out and get a couple of wins under the belt, and and now a championship, he's now establishing his own career. So so there's the that's a mighty gras in some people's career, Absolutely. and to hit that benchmark so early, you know, there's a lot of jubilation for him too, understandably. Yeah, and just a vindication and affirmation of all of that, all that work paying off, and. And like you said earlier, kind of, kind of coming out of a little bit of his father's shadow. Uh, but it's, I mean, I, for all that it comes across, it looks like they have a great relationship. Bill seemed just, just overjoyed, uh, just very emotional that he had had won that. I think it meant a lot to. to it seemed, it looked like it meant a lot to him as well. Yeah, so that was a lot for of sure. That was great sure. to watch that play out. The, um, the proud dad for sure. But I don't really feel like just to set the record straight. I, no one chase like I do. I don't really feel like that was uh, a coming out of a shadow. I don't think he sees it that way. I just think like like he sees it like okay, I've I've done a lot of hard work up to this point, and I'm now establishing myself, mm-hmm. my own identity. You know, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. very proud and should be of his dad's accomplishments. And yes, I think he feels like it's an honor to be his father's son. You know. Right. Well, well, thank you for sharing that with us. That is uh, uh, a, a great point. Um, and so thanks for walking us through that. I know I know you've probably gotten that question a lot of times and have, have talked about that 
at length. So let's let's talk a little bit about about you uh, and and what kind of got you started. You're from New York originally, uh, here living in the South now. But what kind of got you started? What was that the spark that led to you wanting to be in racing? Uh, was your family involved in racing uh, when you were young, or what kind of what kind of got you started on this path? And, and walk us through that a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so my grandfather raced long before. I was around to watch. Um, and then my dad worked on my, uh, godfather's cars. And so, yes, it was somewhat a part of my life growing up, but I was really into sports. So, you know, baseball and football and soccer and stuff like that, that was all what I was up into, but always went to races on Saturday night. That was what we did. Um, growing up on long island there was two or three tracks we could go to friday night saturday night sometimes on sunday so it took up most of the weekend in in this season and um i think uh one day um right out of high school i just decided okay i, I think i'd like to try this and so i just i rented uh, my parents weren't on board with it in the beginning so i rented oh, wow. a garage rented a garage from uh a single mom who needed needed the money and uh so I would work, go to college, and then come home and then go to this garage and work late into the night trying to build this car that I knew nothing about. I was a jock. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wasn't getting too far too fast, so I gave my uh, godfather a call, and he had a body shop in Long Island that was pretty affluent. He serviced all the hockey players in New York, so he 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 had a really good business. So I said, look, I, I want to do this, and that's all I had to say. And uh, I bought the car to his shop. He put a roll cage in it, told me what I needed to do. I went back to the garage I rented, and then my racing career started. Um, and so I, that was street stock division. This The first year, I got rookie of the year. The second year, I won five races, third year, seven or eight races. So I moved on to the asphalt modifieds, uh, and I struggled in that series because uh, I think the street stocks, you know, we were handicapped on the last – three races that you ran so i started back every night and charged to the front in 25 mm. laps so i got used to doing that and the modifies you can't do that or you knock the wheels off um <laughs> so it took took me a while to learn that um <laughs> started getting the hang of it and then uh had some pretty good days here and there but not always near as many as i would have liked to and so at that point i figured out okay I'm pretty good at this, but I'm not good enough to go much further. So at that point, I had gotten a divorce. And uh, a little bit after that, I grew up with Tommy Baldwin. And he had just come down to Charlotte uh, to meet with Harry Rainier about uh, starting a, a Cub team with Tony Stewart. Oh, okay. And so, so uh, he called me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming down to charlotte and seeing what he had going on and maybe being part of that team well i had a business on long island where several a lot of employees that i would have to close um and i had it for 17 years is architectural aluminum business where i designed sold and installed commercial window systems in manhattan oh oh wow no idea wow. Did, did not know that at all. <clears throat> after going down to charlotte meeting with mr Rainier and Tommy and seeing what they all had going on, I said, okay, which meant I'd have to leave seeing my children on a weekly basis. So it was a really hard decision to make, but it was one I was okay with. And he was in the same boat. He had a, he, he had children on Long Island that he'd have to leave. So, and we grew up together. So we had a, a, a strong bond. 
So I took the plunge and went to Charlotte, and we had seven of us move into one house. Yeah, I read that. That's amazing. Yeah. Steve Park and a couple yeah. of other folks, right? Yeah, Steve Park, Kevin Bono, Mannion. Bono Mannion, oh, yeah. Uh, and so I slept on a couch for two years. Bono slept <laughs> on a lounge, two lounge chairs poached together. <laughs> and um you know it took off from there um it's kind of like a frat house almost sounds like yeah it was every bit of it <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then some i'm sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't ask any questions nope, about that no nope. <laughs> nah, that's all good so from there uh, uh short term unfortunately uh harry rainier's team had to close down because sponsorship didn't materialize like it was supposed to mm. and uh so that led to Tommy and I moving to Richmond to go work for Junie Donnelly with Dick Trickle. And that was a lot of fun. Kept our, at that point, I had an apartment in Charlotte. I kept it because I didn't know how long we'd be working in Richmond. And quite frankly, I didn't want to go there, but it turned out to be a really good experience because I was an underfunded team and, you know, we only had seven guys. So, you know, I had to build the pit boxes and the, oh, wow. the toolboxes as tire guy. And it just, with seven, I was the underneath guy on motor changes. So, you know, back then we had a practice engine, a qualifying engine, a right. happy hour engine that might not be our race engine. So you change an engine three times a weekend minimum. So it was a different vernacular back then. So from there, I got asked to manage Kenny Wallace's Square D team because I had a business background, obviously, mm-hmm. with the business I had. And, and Is I that took the 81 it. team, uh, Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So. I moved from Richmond back to my apartment in Charlotte and then started managing that team for about a year. When uh, one day at Martinsville, Cindy Elliott came and got me and asked me (laughs) if I would be interested in managing their two cup teams. At the time, they had Bill's McDonald's team and uh, Jerry Nadeau was driving a team that was Miami Dolphins logo right. on the car with right. so it was uh, their quarterback Dan Marino and Bill right. on together sure. and so uh, I said sure I'll sit and talk with you and I did in Martinsville I sat in the lounge and talked with them and we struck a deal and so I left the Square D team and went to Bill Elliott Racing um, which is kind of ironic because at the time Chase was geez Five. maybe <laughs> maybe four or three or four right so um yeah because it was 1999 early 99 late 98 and so um the first thing we did is narrow down to one team so we took the best of all the people we had and made one dynamite team for bill and that was great because it really put him in a good position with good equipment and good people and he had a really good year another really good year and then ray Abraham came and got me one in new hampshire and uh, i knew ray from back home we raced against each other in the modifieds and he said i have this crazy crazy opportunity that (laughs) that i'd like to talk to bill about but i don't know him and maybe you can facilitate and i said well what do you got in mind he said so he told me what it was and i said okay I'll, i'll get with him and i'll get back to you so that week I asked Bill to go to dinner with me, which the the way that worked is our shop was in North Carolina in a town called Statesville. And Bill obviously lived in Georgia. So I would run the race team, but I would stay in touch with his folks in Georgia, mainly Cindy. And they had an office staff there. Um, so we kind of would run run this team w- with help from both states. Right. So right. I'd have Bill come up and come see me and we went to dinner and I told him what Ray had on his mind. And he said, Oh my goodness. 
you know, at that point, I don't know that Bill was interested long term in being a car owner much longer. So, so it just seemed like the timing was good on it, but it would be a lot of work us figuring out the value of Bill Elliott Racing and then turning it over into Everham Motorsports and how that was all going to facilitate. Took a while. We had to have a company come in, do inventory and all that, and try and keep the employees in the right frame of mind. Ray had a lot of plans, you know, so it was interesting because once we got that deal complete, there was a lot of great people working at that facility. Chad Canals worked there. Uh, Rodney Childers, myself, um, Ed Guzzo. We, we had a lot of really good people, but man, we grew so fast and there was so much power behind it. It was hard to keep everybody on, in check mm-hmm. to what their agendas were. So after a while, I left there. Really hard to leave Bill. I would have worked for Bill and Cindy the rest of my life. It just didn't work out. You know, we, we were very, we were very, um, in sync with each other and still are and remained that way once i left there and it's kind of funny it all come around to uh working with chase now it's <laughs> right. like i started my spotting career when bill drove for Everham. i was the spotter then uh, um i had never done it before but i drove so it kind of made sense yeah and you kind of knew um, what a driver would would want to want to want to hear. yeah yeah so uh so i left there and uh ironically tommy Baldwin and I started our own Xfinity team at that point. We had sponsorship from Unilever. Paul Wolf, the crew chief for Keselowski, and now you know still at Penske, was our driver at the time. Um, he was still in his driving career mode. Right. Um, from there, Wally Dallenbach, David Green drove for us. Um, and we kept that team alive for a while until Ray, Tommy wound up going to Everham Motorsports to crew chief for Casey Kane. Mm-hmm. After a while, Ray wasn't all that interested in Tommy crew chief, uh, owning a team and being his crew chief. Yeah. And I got it. It kind of was a division of time mm-hmm. and dedication, you know. So we sold the team to Ray, ironically. Equipment, sponsorship, everything. We just turned it over to him. And so that left me with a decent paycheck, but I didn't, I wanted to work, you know. So I started my own ARCA team. Right. And, uh, that went on for a couple of years. Um, had a girl driver with sponsorship and then a couple other guys. And uh, during that time frame, I run an Xfinity race when Kyle Busch drove for me at Watkins Glen. And then I went to work for Robert Yates and I ran his teams for about three years. And that was really good. We had a great relationship. Um, it ran its course and I went back to owning cars again. And still spotting all along the way. I've been so lucky to spot for some amazing drivers, four Hall of Famers right now. And I'm sure it'll be six by the time I stop doing this with Chase and Kyle Busch. Um, right. Surely, surely headed for the Hall of Fame one day. But right. I, I worked with Dale Jarrett and Bobby Labonte and Jeff Gordon, uh, to name a few. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. You were with Jeff um, so, for what, about four years, right? No, Jeff, it was or, uh, six years. Six years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, six years with Jeff, um, three, almost three with Bobby Labonte, uh, a year and a half with Dale Jarrett. God, I've been so lucky. Um, so you've been on the 24 team essentially, what, a decade, right? Because Chase took over. Yeah, it's my ride. 11th year, 11 yeah. years, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. great. So I was a little bit over six years with Jeff and now almost four and a half years with Chase now. Which mm-hmm. is crazy. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So you had, when you were doing your ARCA racing, and I thought it was interesting, um, and you 
kind of mentioned this, you had a female driver. Was that Allie Owens? Yes. And then yes. Uh, later on, Joanna Long, you had some... Yeah. And so that was that kind of a, a calculated thing that you did to try to give a female driver kind of a leg up, an opportunity? Was that a designed intent or was it just those were the best drivers available at the time that you were putting together the team? Not actually. Um, so Allie came with sponsorship and we were mm-hmm. looking to... to race so so someone had money and they could you know help us get our program moving mm-hmm. we were going to do it, it and, and so the fact that she was a female really didn't matter to us okay. um, gotcha. but then it's funny how things come around the folks in unilever wanted to do a three girl program where they were promoting dove and dove products mm. and so we started putting that together with ali johanna and tiffany daniels which is uh, Cliff Daniels' sister. Oh yeah, okay. Who who worked at Hendrick for a good while, and now I think she's doing something with Pit Pass Company. But um, she was a driver as well. So we started putting that together. Um, did photo shoots and glamour shots with with uh, the Dove folks and all. So we were gonna have three girls. They were gonna fund it, and it fell through at the last minute. Mm. Um, oh. A couple couple things went wrong, and so. It never never came to fruition, and that's when we started disbanding the Orca deal. Gotcha. I wanted to ask about your Long Island days. Um, you know, Islip and Riverhead. The Cup Series actually ran at Islip. I had forgotten that, and it's small. I believe it's only a fifth of a mile. Where, when you were a kid, did you get to see Richard Petty and those guys run up at the – I think he won the last race at Islip. Did you get to go see them at all? I was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was there. Um it was the craziest thing because 43 big body cars, they started and it's, it was a fifth of a mile track. So the leader wasn't, but a few car lengths from the guy <laughs> right. in the back yeah. on, the, on the start. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the funny thing about it is this is, this is pretty funny. So I, I worked for Petty Enterprises for three years, or maybe two years when Bobby Labonte drove for them. Oh yeah. So, you know, the spot is always up in the grandstand. He never really gets down to the truck much. And when he does, it's off crazy time frames and grab something to eat and run back up there. And most of us spot all the series that are out of track. So so you never have a whole lot of time to be down in the garage. Right. So we had a rain delay one time and Richard walked in and holler and he heard me talking. And he's (laughs) such a nice guy. He turned and he goes, hey, you're a spotter. I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, two years I've been listening to you, never met you. He says, sit down, let me talk with you for a while. <laughs> so we sat down for three hours and did nothing but talk about, you know, how he used to flat tow his cars with his dad out west. And so he started talking about ISO Speedway and uh, his not so fond memories of it. <laughs> uh, so that was really cool because that's where I grew up and, you know, watched watched him and several other guys that are still around today race there but yeah it's such a small little track and actually that night um junior johnson went over the wall and added a oh, ballpark wow. oh wow goodness yeah. gracious yeah so junior it was, was pretty everywhere. nuts yeah yeah and i wanted to ask you one more thing i believe riverhead used to run figure eights i don't know if they still do did you ever run a figure eight race when you were doing street stocks or modifieds no so riverhead and isa both run figure eights so the spotter for um, the 23 Cup car um, is, a, is a young man named Freddie Kraft. Mm-hmm. And his dad was phenomenal at the figure eights. He won several, several championships there. 
That's... Uh, both Riverhead and Islip. So, so yeah, no, I never, never raced figure eights. I was mostly street stocks and late models and modifieds. Gotcha. I, I, that always seems to me to be a very poor idea to cross each other in the middle of the track. It's fascinating to watch on television. Mav TV mm. has them on a lot and little these old little tracks and they do the figure eights. They have a lot of them out West too. That's, that's, that's nuts. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So Eddie, I wanted to ask you about spotting because I think the role of the spotter is often misunderstood. Uh, you don't just get to the racetrack on Friday and stand up in a spotter stand three days, spotting three races. There's a lot more to that role. Can you kind of describe the role of a spotter and what your, what a typical week is like for you? Sure. That's a good question. Um, so from when I started spotting in, uh, 2000 to now, uh, 21 years later, it has changed dramatically. Uh, you know, early on it was clear, not clear questions out, blah, blah, blah. And the run of the mill, normal stuff. But now, uh, because, the roller crew chief has changed as well. Mm -hmm. So crew chief used to be a guy that grew up racing short tracks, um, flinging shocks and springs and figured out how to build shocks along the way and had an understanding at a car and got to the South and got to that level. And okay, bang, you're the crew chief. Well now over the years, probably eight out of 10 or eight and a half out of 10 crew chiefs now are engineers mm -hmm. and they're examining data and they're talking to their teammate crew chiefs. So, so the, the talking to the driver nonstop during the race has kind of morphed into the spotter doing that and the crew chief examining what the car is doing. I mean, we have S and T data where we can literally mm -hmm. watch and trace what the other cars are doing in the corner when they're braking, when they're accelerating, you know, a whole lot of statistics on what our cars are doing as it's racing, where we never had that before. Right. So these engineer crew chiefs are examining that, and that has, in the spirit of competition and getting better and wanting to get better, that has had spotter who most of the time now, nine out of ten are former drivers, mm -hmm. um, are given the driver and I'm going to make sure I use this in quotation, useful <laughs> uh, information and not just talking for the sake of talking because mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. you know, about rubber buildup, lanes that are working. Uh, we have, you know, time and score in front of us so we can see when someone cuts a really good lap, watch mm -hmm. what they're doing, try and help our driver figure that out or not, if he's capable of doing it or not. Um, in lower series, like I work with Austin Hill in the trucks and Justin mm -hmm. Algaier in the – xfinity series mm -hmm. with austin hill i'll since the races are shorter and you don't have as much time to tune on the trucks as you do a cup car i'll try and work with him about driving on the right front and the right rear tire where he has to switch that during the race so that he gives a tire a chance to cool down if he's mm -hmm. tight in the right front's building air i remind him to switch to trying his best to drive off the right rear so we even off the plateau of heating the tires up and it can help his chassis. So, so all of this stuff you learn over a period of years uh, during the week to ask, to answer your question about what I do during the week. So we get home on a Sunday night, depending on where we are, sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes a reasonable hour. Monday morning at 10 o'clock, I'm in the Hendrick shop that I live an hour away from. And we're, we're in a, a meeting with the driver, the crew chief, the two lead engineers and myself mm -hmm. 
And so we're debriefing what happened the day before mm-hmm. and we're pre-briefing where we're going to. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So that's my Monday. Tuesday, I'll spend generally the entire day watching film of at least the last race and sometimes more of where. So, for example, this Tuesday was all about Homestead mm-hmm. and I'll take notes. And up until COVID, I had been sending out reports to driver, engineering and crew chief of what I saw. We kind of wean that down a little bit since COVID has hit, since we're not practicing no more. We're just lining up and racing. Right. Mm-hmm. But I will send a text to Chase on stuff that I have seen that might be noteworthy. Again, what's pertinent and not just stuff to be talking, mm-hmm, right. you know. And so uh, so that's my weekend. Wednesday I have to myself, and we don't practice no more on Friday. So right. typically on Thursday we'd be leaving to, mm-hmm. to fly wherever we're going. And now it's become Friday, and this weekend we don't leave till Saturday. Right. Um, if mm-hmm. there was a truck race, I would be leaving on Friday to attend that. So a prototypical week, I'm gone Friday, come home Sunday, meeting Monday, film mm-hmm. Tuesday. So my weekend is Wednesday and Thursday. Is there, you mentioned, I know you spot for Justin Allgaier in the Xfinity Series and Austin Hill in the Truck Series. Do the different drivers want different kinds of information and that changes how you have to spot a race? Um. Yeah, Um. Just in in Austin's case, he's still learning, so I'm going to go over more stuff that he might not know yet. Mm-hmm. Some of it he might, and some of it might be redundant, but still need reminders. In Justin's case, there's a whole lot less than that because he's a sure. seasoned veteran. And in Chase's case, probably even a little bit less because we have a lot of years together and if I see something that, or I can think of something that he might not be thinking of, then I'll mention it. But I don't generally say stuff to say stuff because all that's going to do is piss the driver off. Yeah. Right, right. So you learn over the years what the mood is, when it's good to talk, when it's not. This past weekend, I mentioned something about rain. That was a conflict with him, but I was just repeating what NASCAR told us. So they got spotters in the corners that look for that. So it was pertinent for me to say, but he wasn't in a very good mood at the time. So no, I think um, I saw a clip of that, and I think he simply yeah. said, "No, it's not." Yeah, <laughs> that, that yeah. might have been the the um, well, really the clean version. I know of that. Chase. I, know. <laughs> I know Chase pretty well, and I should after this amount of time we're together. And all he was trying to say to me was NASCAR's wrong. Right, right. But he doesn't yeah. want to get fined so no. yeah. yeah no it's not yeah no it's not yeah well that's and not only that at the time we were leading we didn't need a caution oh that's yeah. the last thing well, you needed yeah that, yeah that that is true we we ached uh we ached for you uh we we are we love it when uh when chase does well we've kind of pulled for him all along and uh, we were bill fans too when he was racing and so we we do like to see him do well and uh i was just like oh my gosh you gotta be kidding me and it was raining like half the track and the other track it wasn't and, yeah, you know that was a tough, tough spot for you guys to be in, and probably course, NASCAR too, right? I would, I would. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a, I don't know though. I mean, we got rain tires, and it rains hard. You pit for the rain tires, and you roll on. I mean, it's a little goofy, but so, right. So since you brought that up, I, we were going to talk about this later after we let you go. But since, since you raised it, every other form of motorsports, it's up to you to decide when to put the rain tires on without potentially getting into trouble by saying something <laughs> against the sanctioning body. What are you thinking about? I mean, do the do most of the drivers? I mean, I know you can't, but would they prefer to have it be a team call, or do they prefer the sanctioning body to make a, a caution like that? Okay, so typically we run two 
road course races a year, Sonoma and Watkins Glen. Right. Uh, now we're into five or six. You know, we got Roval and Charlotte, or Roval and Daytona, and now we're going to Road America, and now we're going to Coda. So, so we're we're adding on a bunch more. So I think some of this is beginning to be virgin territory where we're learning how to put on a good show for TV audience and fans, mm-hmm. but also do the right thing by having the race be called properly. So I think moving forward, I don't know nothing. I'm just telling you what I think. No, we appreciate it. That's what we I do. think you'll start seeing corner yellows instead of full course yellows. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Road America is a four and a half mile racetrack. It takes 20 minutes to run a caution there because of the. <laughs> yes. <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> and we'll go in there for the first time. And I think by the time we get there and maybe by the time we get to Coda, I don't know nothing. No one's told me nothing. I'm just saying I've been around a while. I think you might see local cautions start getting called. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. But, on a, on a, but I think size, you'll yeah. start seeing that get called. As far as the ring goes, I'm with you. I mean, I didn't see a need for a caution the other day. I'm sure as heck Chase didn't either. <laughs> and he made that perfectly clear in yes, his very yes. polite way. Uh, of which, that's a whole other story. Because all of these crazy people on Twitter <laughs> were beating me up over uh, over that. You know, but but that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> now we appreciate I, your honesty there. I mean, I, well, I, you, listen. Well, they, they're all they're all nuts except for us and you and yeah, other people. That they don't know. know what I'm being yelled at in my ear from that's right. the people that are talking to me. You know what I mean? So so, mm-hmm. and they, there's no way they could. And they're just fans. I get it. But sure. but yeah, I think moving forward, the only reason to throw a cost. Listen, think back to the Xfinity race at Charlotte last year. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Or that the- was insane. That was a monsoon. That wasn't rain. That was a monsoon. And we didn't throw any cautions. Nope. <laughs> and it, you just kept on racing with cars everywhere. And the truck race, even though it wasn't raining, that was a that was a crazy yeah. race down there. I mean, there was yes. car I mean trucks everywhere. Yeah. It, yeah. So it the inconsistency I think is what, what frustrates a lot of fans. Yeah, and of and course it should. I mean, but in NASCAR's defense, I think they're learning and they want to put on an exciting show and you know, sometimes that's going to play out good for some and not good for others. In our case this weekend, it, it didn't play in our favor because it forced our hand yep. to decide whether to pit or not. And mm-hmm. when you're the leader, look, think back to Charlotte last year. Green-white checker, we're leading and we pit and it was the right call because everyone's going to do the opposite of what, what you, you did. Do. No, mm-hmm. matter, no matter what we did, Joey Logano was going to do the opposite, as he should. And so... Call, putting the caution out there forced our hand and then we struggled on our pit stop and now we line up 14th in the go-kart race from turns one two and three <laughs> yeah, exactly. so right. maybe you get through it with your fresh tires and you attack and you pass and you win uh it wasn't that easy it was very difficult as you saw we wound up in the grass you know and, yeah, and then twice we got drilled from behind going in turn six because the car behind the car behind us drilled him and now we're right. spun out you know what i mean and, there was a lot of that in daytona a yeah, that, a lot of that, and uh, so whether it was there. on the oval or the road course, yeah, sure was. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. So I think moving forward, they should just leave it up to the crew chiefs to say, "Hey, uh, there's enough rain out there now. Come on in. We'll put ro- we'll put rain tires on." Right, and they don't and, make they don't throw the caution when the rains quit to let you go put slicks on. You know, correct, correct. Yeah. So so I think it'll eventually get to that. It's just kind of 
I'm sure it's being talked about as we speak, and we'll oh, yeah. get there. Right. right. And I imagine, too, that people like Joe Gibbs and Roger Penske are saying, you better throw a caution because I don't want all my cars torn up. You know. Well, I mean, then there's that. But, but I mean, I, I'm not in the NASCAR meetings and stuff like that. I, I'm sure, I'm certain it's all of this is being talked about. And they'll they'll get it worked out when it's time. Right. Mm-hmm. And NASCAR has shown a, over the years that they, they do end up getting it right. Right. It, like you say, they're under a microscope. And if they yeah. hadn't thrown the caution and, and, and Elliot, you know, Chase had put it in the fence, everybody would have said, why didn't NASCAR throw a caution? So, you know, I can yeah, see yeah, how yeah. they're in a new one, yeah. new one position as well. Yes. Yes. And that's a very good point. Well, and I think the, the result from Texas last year. With Harvick. With yeah. Harvick. And that being out there long and he bumps the wall and has a terrible finish and then Martinsville happens, which, you know, great for you guys. But that was also probably in their thinking, not that it was that point in the year, but they didn't want to make, have that become a, so you're right. It's, it's a a tough spot. It's kind of like the same with y'all pitting it from the lead. You're Mm -hmm. screwed either way. Yeah. But I I appreciate that NASCAR is trying to do some different things. And I I like the fact that there's more road courses and it's not the same, you know, mile and a half every week. And I think it's good for, from a fan's perspective, I appreciate what they're trying to do, and I think it me, makes me too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it, I, I think it will lead to a more well-rounded champion, and I think we had that last year uh, with Chase. You know, especially the way that the Chase was set up. You know, you've got to, you know, you got to have a guy that can run all those different courses, and they can't just be good on the mile and a half, or can't just be good on the road courses, or can't just be good on the super speedways. It's got to be. You know, you've got to be able to drive them all. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of that of the way it seems to be. Listen, you're, you're right on. I mean, Harvick won nine races. A lot of them were mile and a half races that he dominated. Um, and then we got down to Martinsville, where for us to win, we had to win out. We had to win That's two right. races in a mm-hmm. row, and it's starting to back from the last one. So that was a pretty tall order to to climb over to be able to be crowned a champion. I mean, oh yeah. I don't know. They can get much taller than that, you know. Yeah, and so, it was, yeah, it, it's not over till it's over. I mean, I, you're right. For for the four car to win that many races and not uh, be a player in the last race seems a little bit convoluted. But it is the it is the layout that we all know mm-hmm. we face, you know. Sure. And mm-hmm. so you just got Justin Algaia won back to back races at Richmond last year, but the rest of the year was a struggle. Yeah. And we kept telling each other, we just got to make it to Phoenix. We just got to make it to Phoenix, which we did. That's a very good track for him. And so came down to a green-white checker with him leading and Cindric had tires on. Yep. And all he had to do, which sounds easy, but it's not, Mm -hmm. was to stall his momentum once, maybe twice. And he would be a champion based upon a year of winning two races, winning the last race, and struggling the rest of the year. And to to Mr. Sendrick's credit, he took advantage of his tires, and he got alongside of Justin at just the right spot. Justin couldn't maneuver his car to slow his momentum down. Probably would have had to do it twice. And uh, Austin made the pass for, for, her to, for his championship. And, right. I mean, think about it. For the seven car to have won that championship would have been pretty amazing, considering the year they had. Right. So, yeah. so it is what it is. We know what it sure. is, and sometimes you just gotta say, "Hey, we just gotta make it to the final four and gather up all of the heartache you have during the year, and not get too excited about your success either." Mm-hmm. Right. Because I- none of it matters till you get to the end. 
You know, I, I kind of like the, it's kind of like the old, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament that's coming up soon. It, uh, Michael graduated from NC State and, you know, that 83 team with John, Jim Valvano, you know, they were, they had no shot coming into the tournament and they caught lightning in a bottle yep. and ended up walking away national title, you know, survive in advance, which it sounds like uh-huh. you and Justin did. And then, you know, all you can do is walk into Phoenix with a shot at the title, right? And then it plays out the way it plays out. Um, yeah. But you've at least, you're at least there. Listen, Jimmy Johnson's last championship, he didn't deserve to win. No, we were at we that were race. There. We were, we yeah. were at Homestead at that race. Yep, we were there. Yes, yeah, sir. He made the right call, Chad did, mm-hmm. and Jimmy drove the wheels off it at the end of the race. But they were nowhere to be found the whole <laughs> no, day. They and ran they started, 15th all night. Well, and they started yes. from the back in that yes. race. They started from the back. And he'd be the first one to tell you that. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, they did what they had to do that day to, to get that done. So, hand mm-hmm. it, you know, hand it to them. They earned it. Going uh, yes, going back to um and I and, and I wasn't planning on asking you this but we were talking about Martinsville, and I and if I'm not mistaken you were spotting for Jeff Gordon when he won in the dark in, in Martinsville weren't you Yes I was Yes and we were there for that race It's still I, I we think couldn't... one of the most exciting and 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 that was the day that uh, uh, Kenseth uh, bumped uh, drilled Lagana yeah because his brakes failed That's right and. What so? <laughs> Oops! I don't know so, what happened. NASCAR. I mean, it was just we couldn't see. We were in three and four. We were in three and four, and you could not see one and two at the end of that race. What was that like for you as a spotter? Could could you still see? Were you were you any help to him uh, in the closing laps of that race, or was that just all Jeff being Jeff? No, I could see fine. But what was memorable about that day? Several things. Listen. We all knew Jeff Gordon's career was winding down. Right. And, you know, he needed to win that race to have a chance at a championship at Homestead. Mm-hmm. And so when Joey and Matt got together, which was bizarre, um, <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know that I've heard a place get that loud. No, that's what I was just was, thinking. We it could hear, yeah, you could hear yeah. the crowd over the engines. It was nuts. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's several other times when I heard a crowd that loud, but one that comes to mind is when Earnhardt dumped Terry Labonte at Bristol. I was there for that. <laughs> just meant to rattle his cage. Yeah, yeah. So now we're in position. We just got to get around Jamie McMurray to win and go to Homestead. And for Jeff to compete for yet another championship as he closes out his career, think about something. There's not many people in our business that compete for a championship as they're retiring. Right. No. No. And, and Jeff Gordon can say he did. Mm-hmm. And he had to, and, if I don't, I mean, you'll, you'll remember probably better, Eddie, but I think there were two or three or four restarts in the last 50 laps, and he had to mm-hmm. fend off the field. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Jamie was pretty good, but but Jeff, there was no way in hell Jeff was going to let him get by <laughs> at the end. No. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of emotion. We had struggled a lot during the year. Um, the year before that, we had to deal with Keselowski at Texas where we had – that was so bizarre, that race. It might have been the most bizarre race I've ever been a part of. We had more than half a straightaway lead and took the white flag and the caution came out. And then we restarted. Next thing you know, we're a flat tire coming down pit road, two laps down, and we're going to fight people. Right. I mean, it was crazy, and it took us out of going to Homestead that year. We went to Phoenix the next year. We had to beat Harvick to go to Homestead, and we ran second to him all day long, couldn't pass him. Mm-hmm. And so you come back the next year and win in Martinsville. And the other thing that was so bizarre about that 
win is the people in the grandstand stayed there for an hour and a half in the dark screaming. Yep. Sure did. We, 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 we were one of them. We, yep. were, we, and, we were three of them. You betcha. And, yeah. and they didn't leave. Uh, and it was so bizarre. It was like it was like one of them surreal moments. It was very surreal. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yep. I have a room upstairs in my house, my movie room that has pictures all over it, and the picture of Jeff with his yep. arms up on the roof. Yep. Yeah. I have that on my wall because I think he knew. Yeah. He knew was. that this was the end, and it was he was going to go out with a chance to win a championship. And how fitting for a guy of of his stature and his career. Yeah, that was a pretty special day. And it is interesting, you know, if it hadn't, you know, you look at him, Stewart, Johnson, I mean, these titanic names in the sport, you know, it's amazing how they just sort of all hit a cliff in terms of wins. It's not that they're running bad. It's just they, they're not up there winning. And, and, you know, Jeff pulls one off in his last year. Tony finds a way to knock Denny Hamlin out of the way at Sonoma and win a, win a race there. You know, I was never a 48 fan, but I, I don't know how the garage felt, but we sure would have liked to watch him just stand on the pedestal one more time, you know, just, just to go out a winner. You know, not that he's I mean, he's won over 80 races and he has seven titles. There's nobody going to take that away from him, but he didn't win a race for three years, you know, and that was yeah. that, it would have been kind of neat to watch him go out on top, but Listen, that's pretty neat it, for Jeff. Yeah, it wasn't because Jimmy wasn't trying. Exactly. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, He's given everything he had, but what is really hard to put all together as a viewer is the kids keep coming. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And they're good. It, there's a little gestation period in the cup level to get really good, but these cars are they're not a handful to drive like they used to be. Right. And I don't mean that in any bad way to anybody, but these young guys that are coming along learn quickly and they're still young. So they're a little bit fearless to a degree. Uh, They don't have maybe not families yet. And so the amount of talent that's coming along is very challenging to the to the veterans. Chase is one of those guys right now. He's seasoned and he's young and he's smart. He knows how to run these races now. He's figured it out. And he's going to be a contender for a window of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to be that Jeff Gordon guy. That's right. You know, with it, an accomplished it, career, a family, and maybe some of your skills are getting a little bit slower. I know now you got all these whippersnapper kids buzzing around you. Maybe it's Joe Gibbs' grandson. Right. Oh, wow, that was impressive. <laughs> You know that what I mean? Impressive. You know, what's interesting, Eddie, you know, you talk about the style of racing. I mean, you, you look back, say, 15 years ago, I was at a race at Chicago one time and it, it, it was like late 2000s and Tony and Jimmy were just swapping the lead back and forth during a run. So Jimmy get out there as a rabbit and after 15 laps, his tires would fall off a little bit and smoke would go by him and then they'd reverse and they just on the backstretch pull over and let the guy by and whatever. That doesn't happen anymore. You don't see that much anymore. In fact, at the end of Tony's career, I, I was a Stewart fan a lot and, and you would hear his spotter saying, dude, you can't let everybody buy anymore. You you know, they're not going to pay it back. Is that something that you've noticed as well? As I mean, these young guys, they race every lap like it's a qualifying lap. There's no go out there and save your stuff. There's no ride around. It's balls to the wall every lap. Well, yeah, but a lot's changed to make it that way. So the tires have changed quite a bit where mm-hmm. we had a lot more tire fall off then. The cars were twisted sister cars we call them where aerodynamically they were hard on tires uh, but they would grip to the ground really good so the drivers back then knew that the runs were long and you know you you had to race your car and not your opponent at some sometimes during Mm -hmm. the race so 
you may let a guy go and then, you know, 15 minutes later, you'd pass him back. Right. Because he was running a pace you weren't comfortable with. <clears throat> so, so guys were smart and they did what they needed to, to be there at the end. Tony was really good at it. And so now the tires have changed. They're a lot harder. Uh, we're not pitting because we need tires at a lot of racetracks. Right. Um, we're pitting because we need fuel. And so, and so the tire, tire fall off does happen at certain tracks for sure, but not as bad as it used to be and not quite as often. So the dynamic of the race has changed. Yes, the young kids are running qualifying laps almost all day long. You're correct. But they're doing that because they can. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And the stage points have changed things too, right? I mean, you can't yes, just... Yes, for sure. You know, I, I, and it wasn't true, but I used to joke that, you know, Chad Canals used to put a new motor in Jimmy's car because it didn't matter if you started at the back, right? Because you had 400 laps to get up to the front. Not anymore. I mean, a, a penalty to the back of the grid now is going to cost you one to 10 points a lot of times if you're a top 10 car. So, you know, that that's changed things too. Travis, you had something? Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, Eddie, how much... Do you influence strategy on race day? Because I'm sure there are things that you can see from the spotter stand that Alan may not be able to see from the pit box or Chase may not be able to see from inside the car. That's a good question. Um, In the truck series, more than the other two series. Uh, So Scott Zibidelli is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, We grew up together back home along with Greg. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, wow, yeah. Ironically, I brought Greg down here. He called me one day when I was at Kenny Wallace's team, and he told me he'd like to come down here and start a career here. And Buddy Parrott had just told me he was the crew chief of the 99 call with Jeff Burton. Right. That he needed a shot guy. So I called Buddy up and I said, hey, I got a guy for you that would fit in perfect. And that was Greg Zabidelli's first job in NASCAR. Oh, that's really neat. Wow. So, so it is funny how things come around. But, yes, in the truck series with Scott, I will make suggestions to strategy because I know I can. I know me and him are good like that, and I can see things develop. Mm -hmm. In the Xfinity series, once in a while, in the Cup series, I got 11 years with Alan Gustafson. Mm -hmm. And although we don't go out to dinner with each other on a weekly basis, I know his yin and his yang, and he knows mine. Mm -hmm. And the only time I'll suggest anything is if I'm really – feel strong about something or i see something that's worth saying otherwise i let him rightfully so do his job and mm-hmm. he lets me do my job and that's the really cool thing about alan he he hires good people and he lets them do their job management 101 right and right very mm-hmm. rarely gets involved in critiquing or discussing that unless it's warranted now in our meetings uh on monday we have an open forum where we'll talk through things and Ironically, this past Monday, we did talk about the the Rovals, Charlotte and Daytona, being a jam fest on the late race restarts where it's kind of like a go-kart race, right? People mm-hmm. are just slamming people all over the place. So we, we had a struggle pit stop at the end that put us way back more in the field than we expected. And being the leader, you're handcuffed on making your decision. But we did bring up that at the end of the race, the Roval restarts are a mess so mm-hmm. if, if you get mired in middle or front middle of the pack it's going to be hard to charge through which we experienced <laughs> so those kind of things we'll talk about for future decisions but but most of the time when it comes to alan 
he's really good at what he does, and I pretty much let him do his thing. So something that we haven't seen the first two weeks of the year, and I had actually forgotten about this until I saw the announcement yesterday, that we're going to be faced with this weekend at Homestead is the choose rule. How much influence do you have in choosing lanes for drivers, or, or what is that, what's that conversation like? You ask very good questions. Well, thank you. <laughs> this is Travis Sherrill, by the way. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's our he expert. Is, man. Yeah. Okay, so again, in the truck series, it's come down to where I just say, hey, I think you should take the top lane. And basically, I'm judging that based upon launch. For example, at Bristol, you do not want the bottom lane. The front right. guy is going to not go. It's going to spin his tires. Mm-hmm. There's certain tracks where tire spin is prevalent. The top lane at Watkins Glen, I mean, there's a lot of them. Top lane at Atlanta. And so, based upon history and knowledge, and seeing who's picking those lanes, which you have to figure out really fast, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or the quantity of cars, how many? How many are in the top? How many pick the bottom? Like, if we're 15th and the laps are winding down, and only three guys took the bottom, you bet your ass we're going to take the bottom and figure a way to get to the top. Right. Right. Right, so that runs through all three series. But in the truck series, I might be a little more prevalent in saying, hey, take the bottom as we cross the line. In Xfinity and Cup, usually I'll give a count for the top lane. Six, six top, eight top, nine top, and then the driver can make his decision. Typically, in the Cup series, as we're driving around and we're looking who's in front of us, I'll point out, a car or two that might be challenged to our speed say hey we probably don't want to get behind them and then chase can make his decision now sometimes the driver would rather have the bottom lane over the top lane he's getting better grip there he he likes his drive off of that corner on the bottom of turn two and so it's a combination of a lot of different information pieces and then the driver ultimately has to make his choice sure and a lot of that has has to do with who with with who you're working with and their level of experience and it sounds like that that comes into play with a lot of things that you do uh with them you know as far as t- you know the amount of talking that you do amount of feedback and that sort of yeah. thing it just depends on who you're who you're working with um going back just a one step ago and you guys were talking about how you strategize on mondays does nascar ever seek input from you guys on and you talked about how they bunch up and kind of it's a go-kart race on those restarts do they ever ask for input, you know, and I don't even know how flexible it would be because of where, you know, the okay. traditional nature of the start and finish line always is. Do they ever ask for, should we move the restart zone based on what you guys are seeing as race teams? Is there any, what is that back and forth like between the teams and NASCAR or if, if at all? So they'll ask for our feedback on some stuff, but it's limited. Um, that that really would come from their meetings with the crew chiefs, and they have those on a weekly basis as okay. well. Yeah, I mean the meetings that we'll have with NASCAR are more safety oriented, and mm-hmm. now with COVID placing us in the spots that, I mean, in the beginning yeah. of COVID, we were literally in the grandstands, and then once they started allowing fans to come back to the racetrack, that got messy where we were right in the middle of fans, and then we complained <laughs> about that. Sure, um, mm-hmm. because. I don't know where this guy's been all week long, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? So, right. so they started putting us back on the spotter stands now. So that's the kind of things we'll meet with them about. Uh, okay. Every once in a while, um, race-wise, we'll sit with them and talk. But 
that generally becomes a guy that's been around a while and they'll ask his opinion. Sure. That, that makes sense. Sure. Um, sure. I've got one more question and we're, we're, we're about an hour and we don't want to take up any more of your time. We really appreciate how open you've been with us. And my last question, then we'll kind of go around the table one more time. If, if, if that's okay with you, what's the hardest track to spot it? And is there one that's easier or, you know, what, or, and, and I kind of guess another version of that question is what makes a track harder or easier to spot it than other tracks and obviously road courses are difficult because you can't see everything but in a non-road course uh racetrack what's is there a place that stands out to you as far as you know something like ah i just cannot stand going to this place or i am really excited about this weekend yeah good good question um so I can speak for every spotter that's ever worked. Uh, that Pocono is very difficult. <laughs> we guess that um, might be one of them. <laughs> you know that Tunnel turn, turn one is so far away, right. uh, turn one. And where they have us positioned, we got to lean over the railing that we lean, your belly leans against or your waist leans against, depending on how tall you are. And so picture 43 guys leaning over. So you get (laughs) all the way to the left. That guy's got to be hanging on by his ankles. Right. (laughs) To even see down there. So the fact that I've been around a while, I have the second spot all the way to the right. Oh, nice. Um, (laughs) Who's got the first? I could have had the first spot, but I gave it to Kevin Hamlin, my buddy. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, So I just go the opposite where he leans, and I can see fine. Um, (laughs) But it is very far away. Uh, I remember couple years ago when dale jr went down in that corner and my buddy tj majors maybe didn't clear him as good as he wanted to he says what's the matter tj and then tj answered him back well hell you're a mile away from me what do you expect right <laughs> you know so so that is a challenge and plus on the restarts at pocono you can get up to five cars wide mm-hmm. and so it's a challenge have, um, have they ever thought about doing like the road courses where you just might put another guy down there no, because listen, when you have two guys, it's people talking over each other. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. confusing. Yeah. It's never a problem for our team because I'm very lucky to have Bill mm-hmm. as a, a a guy that fills in to help on races when we need help, or Chase's cousin uh, Troy, who is very very good and adapts really well. But there's other guys where you get a guy from the shop and he gets all excited and hyped up and he just wants to talk all day long. <laughs> and that just and irritates like, the driver. This is the one chance well, like, I'm going to have to do shut this. Up. This is the one chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right, Travis, what about your final question? My final question is simply, what makes a good spotter? Obviously, good communication. And the thing I like about you is it doesn't matter the situation. You're always calm as a cucumber. But are there other things that maybe the casual fan doesn't know that make a good spotter. This guy is so good. He has great <laughs> questions. Yes. Yeah. So yes, very good question. You got to do your homework. We, 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 we try really hard. We, we really <laughs> no, do. I mean, we, Oh, you we spotters. Spot- oh, well, yeah. Yeah. You got to watch the tape. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you guys got to do your homework too. You're, 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 you're but, welcome. Yes. But we have to do our homework and know, tendencies mm-hmm. so a good spotter has a whole lot of tendencies he's seen and understands and understands they're about to happen understands why they're about to happen understands the racetrack understands how races unfold understands his driver understands that some days aren't very good days and you got to shut up so you don't agitate your driver <laughs> and we give him information 
that he really needs. And then there's other days when he may need a kick in the butt and he's okay with it. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And so figuring all of that out is not easy. And so um, learning mannerisms and your crew chief the same way, you know, what can be helpful, what isn't helpful, what's just gibberish. Listen, every one of these drivers can race without spotters. They don't need us. Yeah. Dirt track guys don't have spotters. I don't know why the hell we even going to Bristol. <laughs> I was going to ask but, you about that, but... Yeah. I figured that'd be another 30 we're, minutes. We're, yeah. but, <laughs> but I had this conversation with Chase last year. I said, I know you can do this without me. You don't need me. I'm just, a, I'm just there as an extra oomph of... <laughs> When you're trying to decide if something's okay, that I'm, my eyes are like the extra set of eyes that says, okay, it's good now. And so that's the truth. However, there's things that an educated eye could see that there's so much going on in his cockpit and in his mind that I might kind of read that and have telepathy and say, hey, you need to clean your tires off here so we don't spin them. Or have you thought about moving up a half a lane right here? It seems to be more grip right there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried that and it didn't really work for me. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yes, that's a good idea. Let me try that. You know, so understanding that language and that how that all unfolds, understand how the races unfold, understand the racetrack you're at, do your homework videotape wise so you can put those tendencies in your hip pocket makes you good at what you do. Yeah. Well, that's great. <clears throat> My last question is, is um, you work with a lot of young drivers. You seem to be willing to hop up in the spotter stand for a lot of a lot of folks. We we had a, a young ARCA driver named, or a Winston West, whatever is it called now? When ARCA it, West. ARCA West now. Uh, Br Bridget Burgess was on a few weeks ago, and you spotted for her at Phoenix last year, and you've worked with Natalie Decker, and you've worked with a lot of other young drivers, and you're already really busy. What is it you like about working with young drivers that, that you seem to kind of volunteer to well, probably not volunteer. I'm sure they pay you, but that you're willing to work with younger drivers. What what what's that uh, what's that like for you? Well, I mean, with the experience that I have, I feel like I got a lot to offer to help them, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's giving back to our sport a little bit. Besides the fact that they pay me and I got a family to support, it's <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> in Bridget's case, I felt like I helped her quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, great! That's and cool. maybe she said I that helped. Too. They did. Yeah, too. maybe I helped her family. They had one race car that that mm -hmm. and mom's were, the only pit crew member. Yeah, yeah, that was loaned to them from a friend of mine. Right, and so maybe we kept it clean and didn't hurt it, and maybe she learned a little something, something. Right, and you know whether I got paid or not, I feel like listen. Both of my sons work in the sport and mm -hmm. got really good jobs. My my oldest son is the car chief for the nineteen car in Xfinity Series, and my youngest son works for Spire representing sponsors and drivers Montreux, for example and so the sport has given back a lot to the three of us we both got nice houses all three of us we have good families good living but we've worked at it right, right? Mm -hmm. so so at some point you want to give back a little bit the elliott family has been very good to me mm -hmm. so i want to pass that along to the next family right and so i try my best to do that Oh, that's awesome. And, and I think, you know, we, the folks that we've had as, as guests, you know, there's so much of that, you know, camaraderie about this is a, yes, you're trying to go out and beat the next guy every week, but you want to beat him with all the best equipment and all that, right? Like there's so much that people do behind the scenes that nobody ever else, nobody ever sees. You never know. The stories are incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, we've been on the phone for an hour and 20 minutes, but you guys really don't know my story. No, we don't. No. You know what I mean? No. Well, we'll just have so, to have you back one day and go through it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know what? Everybody has one. You 
know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, take Rick Corelli, for example. Mm-hmm. He spots for Eric Jones. There's a guy that drove for years. In the Kevin truck series, Hamlin. yeah. Mm-hmm. Kevin Ke- Hamlin was a two-time champion out west, and he spots now for Alex Bowman. I mean, and he was the best man at my wedding, so he's a very good friend. I got nine years on the road with him wow. as my partner. And so, so you know, he moved his family from Seattle to Charlotte and and now is entrenched in Charlotte and in racing here because his dream to be a driver didn't materialize. He had right. a shot with Ganassi. It wasn't a very good shot. He didn't have very good cars. Rick Corelli, the same thing. I mean, a thousand stories if you just want to dive into them. Well, we'd love to hear them all. And we'd love <laughs> we, we just want to have people that want to talk to us about racing. And we, you know, I mean, you've shared more than I thought you would with us and you didn't have to do you know share that any of that with us and we really appreciate it and we'd love to have you i, I know it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg there's so many and there's so many great stories that we've heard doing this and you mentioned um jerry nadu we had him on a few weeks ago and you talk about mm-hmm. stories i mean he, he lives we record this in mooresville and he lives in davidson and so he mm-hmm. actually came he came in studio with us and just the most down-to-earth guy just a great guy but just tons of stories about how he helped this guy somebody helped him and then you know all how all that works and it's all intertwined and it's just a great fabric of a of a community um and it's just a one yeah there's and and that's what we're trying to do just tell stories and get people to tell stories that want to talk to us and there's so many there's just so many rich ones out there um keep going there's thousands of them yeah we're we're working on it we're trying, really man. We're, we're trying. The guys, the guys that do this with y'all, like my dinner's ready. My family's waiting for me to come eat with them. But I'm doing this because I'm giving back. And well, we certainly and we appreciate, appreciate it. it. Well, I think and we Jerry can... Nadeau gave back to you, and the next guy's going to give back to you. Yep. And Jerry Nadeau's story is phenomenal. It really it is. is. It is. It really yeah. is. He's a great guy. Well, th- thank you. And, you know, if you think of anybody that would love to come and talk with us or do what you did, we we just enjoy talking racing. And thank you so much. And the best of luck to you guys, uh, to the entire team. And I know the trucks aren't running this weekend, but best of luck to you and, and Justin and, and Chase and all those guys that work, you know, so hard during the week. And, and thank you so much. And we're going to let you let you go eat. All right, fellas. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. Okay. Take okay. care now. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Wow. What an amazing interview that was. Uh, Eddie DeHunt the spotter for Chase Elliott. And uh, we really appreciate Eddie coming on with us this week. He was very forthcoming, uh, very genuine. Uh, just I felt like we could have just talked and talked and talked, but uh, he had to go, and it's it's uh, we do these at night, and we just appreciate him carving out some time uh, for us. And as you heard him mention in the, in, in, in the interview, uh, he just wants to pay it back. And uh, the sport has done a lot of good things for him, and, and we really appreciate that, Eddie. Uh, we had a great time with you. So let's move forward into just a quick review of the races down in Daytona this past weekend and looking forward to Homestead. One thing I wanted to point out that I really enjoyed about the broadcast on Sunday was Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer kind of redoing the scene. Uh, They weren't on the beach, but the scene in Days of Thunder where Cole Trickle and Rowdy Burns were racing (laughs) around the track. Man, they were going at it. That was so much fun, and I think that's something that Clint Boyer, as we anticipated, was kind of going to bring. I don't know if it was his idea, but that wouldn't have worked very well with Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon. I, it, I mean, it may have. I'm not really sure 
uh, what would have happened there. But that was, I hope they I hope they do that do more of that. That was a lot of fun to watch. You got to see a side of Jeff that wasn't so buttoned up. Right. You know, yeah. it was fun to watch him. And they were know, having a good time. They, he was having a great time. You know, I think Boyer's a great foil for him. Absolutely. So, and the, the truck way, the truck race was really, really good. A very competitive, uh, yet again, the uh, Xfinity Series was good. We had a first-time winner there in, in Ty Gibbs. And on Sunday, the uh, cup race just had a little bit of, you know, everything. And we're going to certainly talk about that. So, Travis, what are what are your some of, some of your takeaways from Daytona this past weekend? A couple things. One, uh, I don't think the trucks need to go back to the Daytona road course. That was <laughs> that was kind of embarrassing. I yeah, agree. I, I just, I, I wasn't impressed. I thought that the Saturday and Sunday races were much better. And I actually would like to see, hot take here, I think we found a new stock car portion of Speed Weeks, I'm hoping, in that you run the Daytona 500 and run this uh, the Daytona 500 events like they were run this year, and then the next weekend you just stay in Daytona and run the road course. I really, I really like that. Um, now I don't know who would give up a date in order for that to happen. Somebody would obviously have to, but I really like that. Ty Gibbs, what a what a drive! I mean, he beat one of the best in Austin Cindric. And I think this kid has a bright future. I don't care if his grandfather's Joe Gibbs or Joe Slobotnik. I, I, I don't care. This kid can get the job done. <laughs> you know, my final thought is we haven't had back-to-back first-time winners since 1950, the second year of NASCAR. Wow, that's amazing. So, and they're both in the playoffs. They're both in the playoffs. Unless we have more than 16 winners, then that could get a little dicey. And look, at this point, I'm not counting that out. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in the interview we had with Eddie, he talked about maybe they do local cautions and stuff. And I think that may have helped in the truck race. I mean, certainly the back half of the field just doesn't have the experience to be on the national stage on a big road course like that, unfortunately. But, you know, the rest of the weekend was really good. I think, to your point about Ty Gibbs, he, you know, yeah, he's in the best equipment in the circuit, but he beat a guy that knows how to run and did just beat him. I mean, got in front of him and stayed in front of him. And then on the, on the, on the cup side, it was a bit of a an interesting day. Do we want to go ahead and get right into that? Let's talk about the caution for rain. Give your point, Andrew, and then I'm going to counter... Yeah. Well, I also wanted to quickly just point out uh, congratulations to Ben Rhodes winning the first yeah. two, two races yeah. of the year. Yeah, uh, Sheldon Creed was a, had a strong truck, but Ben Rhodes, I mean, wow, that's that's and an not, impressive opening. To and the not season. known yeah. for a great road course racer, and certainly earned it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, certainly yeah, earned take it. Nothing away. That's very and, exciting and, for him. And look at this, guys. And 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 the team and Ben may have known it long before we did. They didn't announce that they were switching from. Ford to Toyota, right. and their driver line up until like three days before the re- the the first race at Daytona. Yeah, that was, that's, a, that's, that's amazing what they've been able to do. Does I, uh, that make a tremendous difference? Do you think? How what what difference does that make? I think Travis? it I think it does for the truck teams because they do have a smaller budget, and you know the 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 advantage that Thor Sport had, I guess, is that they had been with Toyota before. And actually, I think most of their success has been with Toyota. But I, I think, I think you know, TRD provides the engines and all that kind of stuff. But you have to, you know, you can't just take the spec engine out of the crate and drop it in the truck. So I'm assuming they had had, well, I don't know, Toyota must have had given them some assistance to try and 
get that program up to speed within such a short amount of time. You know? Well, the engines aren't a big deal because they're all provided by Ilmore. Oh, they are. They're okay. all spec, okay. so that doesn't. They don't. They just drop them in. They, they just don't get drop the mess them in. With them. Yeah, they don't. Yep. Gotcha. As far as the way the trucks drive, does it matter? Does it? Is no, it, you just it, have to hang a different, different body on it. Yeah, you just right. hang a different body. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. And then, um, you know, Christopher Bell on Sunday. One well, point, uh, that's a great good good win. For I tell him. you what, the guys that were in the thirteenth through sixteenth point positions last year better step it up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You betcha. Be- because there's already 14 at large bids right now, and you know that seven or eight of them are going to be taken. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, by mid season. Who had Christopher Bell winning his first race? At a road course. At a road course. I would have said Daytona, but not necessarily the road course. No. I think Christopher Bell did. Yeah. That's, a, that's a confident young man. Hey, hey he's a good, well, he's good, a for good him. racer. Yeah. He's a, you ran well. Uh, we talked about Chili Bowl a few episodes ago. He's a he's an accomplished dirt racer. Yeah. He's yep. won the Chili Bowl a couple of times. So this guy knows how to race vehicles. Um, so, you know, he's no stranger to the victory. Well, uh, I don't think that people were expecting that. I mean, we were all expecting Chase to win. Uh, or at or, least be up there, but that, that yeah. just didn't work out. But yeah, I, I like seeing. Hey, it's a, it's somebody else. And I, again, loved would have loved to have seen Chase Elliott, but I was totally fine with Christopher Christopher Bell winning. Well, and don't forget who Christopher Bell's crew chief is: two-time champion crew chief Adam Stevens. That's right. And he came down from uh, Kyle Busch. Yes, or came over. I'm sure. I still sometimes think Bell Bell's in the Xfinity series. Yeah. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. And and some of this, of my opinion, is is that Eddie mentioned it. We went from two road course races to a bunch more, and so NASCAR's still figuring it out. But if NASCAR wants to be taken seriously, especially on the international motorsports stage, you can't have a safety caution for rain. You let the teams play it out, and they have to take their own risk as to when they come in and put on rain tires. Now, did that cost Chase the win? Who knows? There could have been another caution. He'd have been in the same spot. Somebody may have put it in the, you know, there may have been a natural caution that happened because somebody lost it in the wet. But, you know, my opinion's pretty hard. You know, I got it back when it was two road courses and they first did. How many years, Travis, did they go to the track with rain tires and never used them at Watkins Glen? I mean, it must have been 10 years, 12 years, 13 years, right? Yeah. So it really was never a big deal because you could bring the cars down, bolt on the rain tires, put the windshield wiper on, all that. Well, that's all standard now. So I really think it should be discretion. They don't take, they don't throw a caution when the rain quits or the track dries out to switch them back to dries. So I don't know why they should throw a caution to switch into wets. But I know you guys might have a different opinion. So what are your thoughts? Well, my opinion is this: NASCAR played it right. If you're going to go by the rule book, the rule book says that they can call for one rain caution during a race to allow teams to bolt on rain tires. And that's what they did. Now, the spotters, NASCAR has spotters around every racetrack for debris, for incidents, for weather, for whatever may be going on. The spotters that were in turn two, I believe it was, were reporting that the track was changing color, that it was getting a shine to it, which means that it was getting wet. And at that point, if you're going to call it by the rules, I think NASCAR had to throw the caution Uh, Do I agree with it? No, I don't. But, you know, I think they were covering themselves after what happened to Kevin Harvick during the fall Texas race last year when the track was damp and Harvick uh, put it in the fence and had a bad finish. I also wonder, you know, just thinking about that point and being fair to it, there is banking on a lot of that circuit compared to, say, Coda or Watkins Glen or whatever. Now, there are slight banking in a lot of those corners, but certainly not 30 degrees of it. That has to also potentially change NASCAR's mindset there as well. 
because the safety dynamics on a 30 degree banking probably are a little bit different than just running around in the mud at, at Watkins Glen. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Michael? I think you guys pretty much covered it. I, I think rain on the track, I think they've got to think of safety first. I think that's got to become paramount. If there was any uh, inkling that this would become an unsafe surface for the drivers i think you threw the caution I, okay. I don't i don't have a problem with that at all and there was some and there was some it was raining in some parts of the track so you know you throw a caution and then you leave it up to the teams to decide whether they need to pit or what they want to do during that pit stop where they want to what kind of tires they would have put on but i think throwing the caution at that point was the smart thing to do because the nascar would get eaten alive if somebody wrecked and god forbid somebody died Mm-hmm. because of wrecking on a on a wet track, and they, they would never live that down. Uh, I think you can explain throwing a caution uh, on the side of being cautious. Let so me, I'm good with it. Let me just say this for those that don't know who are wondering. So let's say that, you, that they threw the caution. You decided to come down and put on the wet weather tires with tread, and the vast majority of the track was dry. Those tires would be gone in about three yes, laps they would. because they would tear apart and you would be back in the pits putting on more tires. So that's the reason that the decision of whether to put on wet tire, wet weather tires or the slicks as they're called is such a big deal. Well, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that nobody put them on tells you NASCAR shouldn't have thrown the caution. I don't know. I Because I, 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 I nobody know. put them on. I right? agree with you, but, but why I, did they throw the caution for them to change tires or to make sure that there wasn't an accident? Well, they all put slicks back on and went back out. I think you're on right, an under caution. I think you're on an island all to yourself here, Coates. <laughs> um, I mean, what do they do? What in, do they do with this weekend at Homestead? It rains. They throw a caution. Yeah, because it's all oval. It's all banking. Yeah. Well, you've got. Well, I don't, and that's why I, I say it might be different on the non-bank tracks. I mean, if you look at Indy or Formula One, it's up to the driver to make the decision to come to the pits. And that's actually where some of the fun strategy comes in. Because sure. if you're a guy going into the wet, if you're a guy who's really good in a wet race car, you want to put the intermediates or the, or the full wets on. And as it gets dry, if you can handle slick tires on a wet racetrack, you're going to make seven, eight, ten seconds on a guy. So I, I, I just think NASCAR needs to keep looking at it. All right, let me, let me make this point. Look at where we were in that race. There weren't many laps to go. What driver is going to pit from the lead to change tires? I mean, there's no way they get back to the front. Well, that's that's why Elliot shouldn't have pitted. So what I'm asking is, then why throw the caution at all? Either throw the caution and bring them down pit road and park them, or mandate putting on the wet weather tires. Because throwing the caution and then leaving the teams up to choose, they're all going to choose to stay on the slicks because it's not raining hard enough. So why throw the caution in the first place? Because you've not changed the safety dynamic at Be- all. Because it's what the rule says. That's why you do but it. Doesn't, yeah, but the rule says can, not must. No, I, I see I see where you're coming from. I, I, and I think, again, as Eddie pointed out in our interview with him, it's a work in progress. Yeah, they I think they're going to make some changes. And yeah, sure. And, and that's... And get, now, let me let me be co- perfectly clear. As a Chase Elliott fan, I am not blaming NASCAR for not Chase not winning the race. That's not what I'm saying. They are totally separate in my mind. No, Chase said so himself that yes. that caution did not cost him no, the, the race. No, the pit call did. And, you know, they were well, like... Well, they had horrible just, pit stops, too. They, they did they, have bad pit stops. Yeah, they lost positions every time, multiple positions. And if you heard, five laps into a run was five seconds different on time. Yep. So the fact that the 22 almost won the race by staying out is crazy. So they made the right call and didn't work out. 
All right. You guys ready to move on to Homestead? Let's do it. Homestead. Homestead. Well, we've been there. It's a beautiful place to go watch a race. Uh, so I'm excited to see, you know, the you know, the views that we'll get to see on on the TV. Not not being there, it'll you know, like well, I remember doing that. I remember we were there. And what uh, what do we think we're going to look at? We got no trucks. We've got just Xfinity cars, and we've just got Cup cars this weekend, Saturday, Sunday. So what are we expecting there, Travis? What are you looking for from the race, and who do you think is going to come out on top in both races? Tire wear and tire management are going to be big deals because it's going to be hot, it's going to be slick, it's going to be sunny, temperatures in the mid-80s. I think that tire wear is going to be something, tire wear and overall grip is going to be something that the teams are going to fight all day long, both on Saturday and on Sunday. Andrew? Yeah, I was just going to ask you who your picks are. I don't have anything else to disagree with it. Who are you picking in the Xfinity race? Boy, that's a tough one. How do you not... Who are you picking? Well, I've got it... Looking at averages, past averages for the last few years, it's either Gregson and, and Cindric are the two best. I'm going to say Gregson. He's due, isn't he? I mean, they've had some... Well, and he'll probably luck. just knock seven or eight guys out of the way on the way. Well, hey, that works for What about guys. you? You taking the 22? It's hard I, not to. He runs really well at those places. You know, I'm not going to take the 22. I'm going to take A.J. Allmendinger. Ooh, two weeks in a row. Two Fair weeks enough. in a row. Michael, well, what about I was, you? I you got uh, well, Harrison Austin, Burton? Austin Cindric. I feel good about You're going to take Cindric. Right. No, no, I feel good about him. I feel good about uh, Burton. But I'm going to take the same guy I took last week. I think he's due. Uh, and that's Justin Allgaier. So I'd like to see how the Brant machine does it. I, I, you I like, just want Eddie to I like, retweet us I like, again. I like corn. Ooh. What do you mean retweet us? Yeah. Oh, he does spot for That's the same. For just, no, yeah. no, Homer. No, no, I just. All right. Who's your cup, <laughs> who's your cup pick, Michael? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, who's still racing these days? Um, <laughs> can we, I go with Carl Edwards? We can tell who does uh, prepare for well, the show. Well, Carl Edwards can't make it to turn two. So I to, I'll I, take I like Carl Edwards out. just a little entertaining, Travis. Um, so my cup pick this weekend, it's really hard. Uh, I mean, let's th- the, it's these... It's the one and a half mile. I don't know, but it's it's the mid track. So you got Kevin Harvick, you've got Martin Truex, you've got Joey Logano, you've got Brad Keselowski. He's taking the field. You've got you know he you've got so pick. I am going to go with I'm going to go with Joey Logano. Ooh, Andrew, that's who you were going with, right? That's it was not, guy. but that's a good choice. He has an average finish of 11 in the last four races. Who are you picking? This man has in the last three races one win. Three top tens, average finish of 367, 3.67. I'm taking the M&M's Toyota. Kyle Busch. Hmm. I'd like to see Samantha drive that car just one time. Brexton is a good driver. Their mm-hmm. son wins a lot of races. Well, you know, I guess if I had to pick somebody, I'm going to go with who I mentioned earlier in the week just because he was very successful there in Xfinity. So, yes, I do do my homework, Travis. Thank you very much. And uh, it would be a first time, another first-time winner. I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. Ooh, Ooh, ran fourth last year. Okay, Ooh. so there yep. you go. How about that? I I know you guys really went out on a limb with your picks. <laughs> and I went with, you know, <laughs> hey, the nobody... field. So, yeah. Tyler Reddick. How, how do you like that, Travis? I like that. Think? All right. So, so that would that be the first time since three de- first-time winners since in a row since the first year, probably? Yeah, I would say so. Travis would know. I, I would say that that's the case. So this weekend, let's just throw this out there. Xfinity Series race, Saturday, 4.30 p.m. on FS1. That's Eastern Time. Stage breaks at lap 40 and lap 80. The race is 167 laps, 250 miles. Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. Stage breaks at laps 80 and 160 
and then the final stage is 107 laps for 267 laps, 400 miles. And if you didn't get all that, he will be retweeting that out as we move closer to the race. Yeah, I'll so tweet that out every, every race. I like that the informed. third stage in the Xfinity race is more than half. Yes. Because it means they have to make a green flag pit stop unless there's a caution. Yes. I like that. It's good. And they're running the same tires that they've run there since 2019, so it will be a tire wear, tire management race. Good. Yeah, that's a long time. Long. I imagine the tires are pretty worn out by now. Since 2019, yeah. yeah. So that's, they have been running on, on I thought they changed tires every pit stop. Nope. They just run them. The same, yeah, they okay. They run the same tires <laughs> All right. the same tracks. They're, they're running the same tire compound. codes. Tire compound, yes. He's done we with us tonight. The, we have hit the wall, for sure. Uh, all right, well, if there's nothing else that we want to discuss. Nope, we're all good. We're good. for effect. Okay. Uh, we appreciate once again you guys listening. We want a, a big, big thank you to Eddie DeHaunt tonight for joining us. That was just a spectacular interview. We'd love to spend more time with him. D- very interesting guy, very informative, and we appreciate him being so forthcoming. Upcoming on the schedule next week, next week, we're into March. Can you believe that? We've got Max Pappas. What? Did, yes, Max Pappas. That's right. Guys, we're working hard. We, we're, not, we're not bringing, you know, second rate bums to the show we're talking we got eddie DeHunt tonight and we're bringing max pappas next week so uh how about that there'll be no show on the week of the ninth because we've got spring break we're going to be heading out of town on the 16th of march we've got an i'll just call it an eye racing extravaganza we've got ashley dodgson calling in from australia he's an eye racer we've got some other guys that are involved and hopefully we'll have Dr. Studwell joining us that night as well for an encore. He does a lot of iRacing uh, and advertising and sponsorship through his company, Exo Consulting. And um, wait for this. On the 23rd of March, that's right, and I think on our preview show, would Blind Spotting get any cup drivers this year? Well, I have an answer for you because on the 23rd of March, we have Matt DiBenedetto. Yes. How about that? We have Matty D. Ford Motorcraft. Going to be joining us, the 21, the Wood Brothers machine. Matt DiBenedetto will be joining us on the 23rd, and we're working on a guest for the 30th, and uh, we're going to iron out the details for that, but that's going to be exciting, an exciting guest as well. So we're not slowing down anytime soon. This is a lot of fun. We hope that you guys are enjoying it as much as we do, Travis. I mean, uh, Andrew, you look like you're about to bust to say something. Nope. Okay. Oh, good. Just got to go to the bathroom. I got you. Um, <laughs> so do I. Anyway, I may edit that out later, but I might leave it in. It depends on what, what, what it sounds like. You can follow us on Twitter at NASCAR Blindspot, all caps for NASCAR, and then Blindspot on Facebook at Blindspotting NASCAR. And you can always shoot us an email in the Googleverse, blindspottingpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. A big thank you. To Eddie DeHaunt, once again, on behalf of Travis Sherrill and Andrew Coates, I am Michael Culbreth, and we wish you the very best in the coming week. Keep it off the wall. Keep it between the lines. Don't bump draft so much, and at least if you do, make sure you know what you're doing. Don't wreck everybody in the process. And uh, we will see you next time on Blind Spotting. <laughs>